Transforming care through genomic medicine, personalized therapeutics, health services and outcomes research, and innovations in healthcare delivery. We're Children's Mercy Kansas City, presenting our audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. Our topic today is developmental screening. My guests are Dr. Sarah Knipp and Dr. Cy Nadler. Dr. Knipe is a developmental and behavioral pediatrician at Children's Mercy, and Dr. Nadler is a clinical psychologist at Children's Mercy. Doctors, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Dr. Knipe, let's start with you. How about if you do a nice run-through of the basic screening process in primary care, uh, you know, pediatric practice? Sure. So the American Academy of Pediatrics has provided some recommendations for primary care providers of children that really recommends something called developmental surveillance at every well child visit and then developmental screening at the 9, 18, and 30 month visit. So developmental surveillance is really just a broad term that means checking in on the child's development. So this could be a conversation with the parent about what kinds of milestones the child's meeting or if if development seems typical to the parent, whereas developmental screening is using a standardized tool to really um, hone in on any areas that may require additional evaluation or exploration. And so when you look at a very busy, you know, pediatric practice, a general pediatric practice, are there, are there some um, best practices to follow to make sure that the right screening is being done at the, at the right time? There are, um, there's several screening tools that are available. Some of them um, are tools that can be sent home to parents to complete and return to the pediatrician's office at the time of the visit. Others are tools that could be administered by a nurse or some other uh, ancillary staff member in the pediatrician's office, and then the pediatrician would review the results of those screening measures with the parent to determine if further evaluation were to be needed. There's not a particular scale that must be used. There's several options that may work better for one office than another. And is there a resource, like if you were running a a general practice, is there a resource where you could learn about these different tools and see what is appropriate for your practice? Sure. The different tools are outlined on the American Academy of Pediatrics website, and um, there's some charts available that even talk about what the benefits of one scale over another may be. So, Dr. Nadler, I, we, I also understand that there is an autism-specific screening. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, the American Academy of Pediatrics has additional guidelines. We, we want to make sure that in addition to those general developmental delays or speech delays that might be identified that autism-specific red flags are caught, and we really need a specialized tool to do that. So uh, at the 18- and 24- or 30-month visit, so twice in that early childhood period, um, pediatricians' offices are supposed to administer an autism-specific screening tool. And by far and away, the most common tool used is called the MCHAT. Uh, That's the Modified Checklist for Autism and Toddlers. And 
you know, much like the general developmental tools, it starts with a, um, you know, one-page questionnaire uh, asking parents, you know, does your child um, uh, look at things when you look at them? Uh, does your child show unusual uh, movements or behaviors, things like that? And, you know, somewhat uh, different from the general developmental screeners, there's actually a second part. And while the MCHAT is used in many, many offices, it is actually rarely used correctly. Uh, meaning using the complete form. So once parents fill out that first part, uh, it's supposed to be scored. And for kids that score in sort of a middle risk range, there's actually a standardized follow-up interview that takes about a minute or two for either the pediatrician or an ancillary staff member to complete, basically making sure that the parents understood the question and that we get a really uh, robust result from that to make a determination of risk. And, and so when you say that the that that this is used in a lot of offices and practices but it's not complete is is it that second part that's not being done that follow up question It's the second part. You're absolutely right and you know part of the confusion was because the original version of the MCHAT which uh I think came out in the early 2000s uh, didn't have the clearest of instructions or uh people missed the boat on the follow up interview but um in the revision that came out in um, I think 2014, uh, the extra instructions are very explicit that you need to start with the first questionnaire. And then if you don't include the follow-up in your procedures, you basically um, are missing out on the, the value of a standardized tool, meaning uh, it's no better than just using your eyes alone, which mm-hmm. uh, are quite fallible in such a brief encounter. Yeah. Dr. N- uh, Nipe, when when a developmental delay or disability is is caught or noticed either by a parent or through an actual screening process, what's the next step uh, in most cases? Can you help us navigate that a little bit? Yeah, and I think it even happens before we have a confirmation of a developmental delay. If there is concern that there could be a developmental delay, that child really deserves um, referral to the birth to three program if the child's less than 36 months of age in their state to have more evaluation and to see if they would qualify for intervention. We've really found that children who receive intervention at the earliest possible time have the best outcome in the end. And so it's really not necessary to wait for confirmation of a delay, but as soon as there's a concern, that child should be referred on. Yeah. So um, what what I'd like to do at this point, um, since you guys are experts in developmental screenings, I, I would like for you guys to share with my audience um, just in general what you really think is the most important thing to know about developmental screening uh, from a parent's perspective and also from a pediatrician's perspective. Dr. Knight, would you like to start? Sure. I think that, um, you know, Dr. Nadler mentioned that Pediatricians' visits are very, very short, and pediatricians are trying to see more and more patients, and it can be really hard to pick up on more subtle delays that can really have a tremendous impact on the child's long-term success and developmental progress. And so I think that if, um, if that developmental screening can really be performed in a standardized way using those standardized tools at the 9, 18, and 30-month visits, we have an opportunity to really catch these kids and have a big impact on their long-term development and learning. Dr. Nadler, what would you like for the audience to know about developmental screening? You know, I think uh, I'll echo Dr. Knipe's comments that uh, the screening is, is really 
just there to let you as a pediatrician rest easy that um, you don't have to be an expert in development or autism to catch things. You can identify risk really easily using these tools in a standardized way. And then, um, you know, the, the wait and see days are over. Uh, we do not want kids to wait a minute um, before they get referred to an appropriate evaluation and treatment. Dr. Knipe and Dr. Nadler, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing at Children's Mercy, and thank you for coming on the show today. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics of Children's Mercy, Kansas City. For more information, you go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.